Hey, antibodies. Do you remember the central dogma? You know, one of the uniting principles of biology and the foundation of genetics, molecular biology, and by extension, epigenetics and immunology and all the related fields you've come to know and enjoy. The central dogma, the closest thing some scientists are ever going to get to having a religion? Well, it's quite simple. DNA serves as the instructions, which are then transcribed into an intermediate called messenger RNA, which is then translated into protein, which then all go to do the cool functions we spend our lives researching. DNA, RNA, protein. How about that? Well, get ready to get dogmatic. It's actually a whole lot more complicated than that. My name is Natalie Graham from the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center, and you're listening to the Antibodies Podcast. Today, I'll be doing a monologue about this fabulous paper published in Science Immunology February of 2020. Uh, it's called Non-Coding RNA Transcription Alters Chromosomal Topology to Promote Isotype-Specific Class Switch Recombination. Now, this is from um, Rotherschild at all, or Rothschild at all, excuse me, out of Atuyu Basu's lab at Columbia University. Now, there's so much going on in that title, uh, let me break it down for you. So, of course, this is an immunology podcast, so I want to hook your attention by discussing first class switch recombination. So, we all know that our beloved B cells secrete something called antibodies, which, um, of course, allow your immune system to identify and mount responses to pretty much anything you could ever encounter, and they also allow us to have memory. So, next time you encounter that thing, uh, you can eliminate it easily and with a little bit less stress than the first time you were infected. So, antibodies come in a number of different flavors. You could call them isotypes or classes, whatever. You know, we've got IgA, IgD, IgE, IgG, IgM. These isotypes all serve different purposes for different contexts. Um, for instance, IgE plays a major role in allergy and antiparasitic response, and IgA mediates immune responses at your mucosal barriers. The structure of the antibody is it's kind of like a Y. So it consists of both the heavy and the light chains. And so the light chains are kind of up on your upper arms in the, the little Y part of the antibody in the upper arms. But the heavy chain actually extends both from the upper arms all the way down into the trunk of the Y. That little trunk part of the antibody is called the constant region. And rearrangements within the heavy chain of the antibody determine what the antibody class will be. The heavy chain is encoded by the IgH locus on the 12th chromosome. To generate different classes, the heavy chain DNA actually undergoes DNA rearrangement in a process known as class switch recombination. Basically, the IgH locus gets a whole makeover. Uh, in a particular B cell, the IgH locus actually has all of the information to make any antibody class, but it is, by default, only transcribing the information by the first exon in line after the VDGA region. This is why B cells express IgM and IgD first, by the way. Those are the first two exons, and the B cell can transcribe off of those with no rearrangement necessary. For the rest of the classes, there's a, uh, like a switch region immediately upstream, which can be cut, allowing for giant chunks to be excised from the IgH locus. When that break is repaired by non-homologous end joining of the switch regions, there's now a new heavy chain locus that is only ever capable of generating the transcript for its new class. The exons for IgM and IgD are gone forever. That for the rest of that B cell's little B cell life, it will always be, say, an IgA expressing B cell. Can never go back. This whole process is mediated by a protein called AID. Now that's activation-induced cytosine deaminase. It's called activation-induced, of course, because it expresses when the B cell gets activated, and cytosine deaminase because it 
deaminate cytosines, those nucleotides. This is a form of DNA damage, and it can initiate the double-stranded breaks that you need to undergo class switch recombination. Side note, AID can also mediate repair through base excision repair and mismatch repair, which is how somatic hypermutation occurs, but I'm not really going to talk about that anymore, so if you want to know about that, just hit the books. It's great. Importantly, AID actually requires transcription in order to mediate this activity. The IGH locus is transcribing constantly, which forms little transcription bubbles where the DNA strands are actually physically separated. Now, there are a few models of how the separation of the DNA strands may promote activity. Uh, in one model, the nascent RNA that's being transcribed forms a DNA-RNA hybrid called an R-loop with one side of the transcription bubble. So now the other side in the bubble is basically just a free, single-stranded DNA. Now, we all know nothing stays naked for long in a cell. And cytosines on that strand are now free to be deaminated by AID, which will then initiate the double-stranded break. Another model is that as the transcription bubble rehybridizes, it doesn't always line up perfectly, forming weird secondary structures and possibly leaving nice single-stranded DNA substrates for AID to do its thing. I bring all this up because uh, class switch recombination is actually kind of dangerous for the cell. You have some protein going in there and just causing breaks and mutations, like it better be happening in the right spot. Whenever repair happens, it has to make sure it puts the right pieces back together or else you're just jamming random pieces of the genome together, which could literally cause cancer. This process therefore must be extremely tightly regulated, and we know it is. DNA lo loops form within the IGH locus, bringing regulatory regions closer to each other, and uh, there are promoters in front of switch regions that generate the RNAs that never really become anything. They're almost immediately degraded by RNase H in the RNA exosome, but the transcription coming from those promoters helps bring in AID. So, now bear with me. Before we really talk about the paper, I have to get into the molecular biology weeds for a second. So, hold on to your pipettes, folks. We're going to be talking about long, non-coding RNAs. From the name, it sounds like a pretty simple thing, right? They are long. They are defined as over 200 nucleotides long, RNA species. Uh, they don't code into proteins. Well, okay, actually, a couple of them do, but uh, they are far and few between. Don't know a lot about them. Uh, and the reason that long non-coding RNAs are so interesting is because they can serve so many different regulatory roles. Um, they can take on these really complicated secondary structures, so they could basically serve as like a scaffold to help protein complexes form or to tether stuff to DNA sequences. Uh, they can also act as decoys or sponges and titrate away proteins and microRNAs and help regulate by basically taking things away. They can bind to mRNAs and affect their stability and turnover. They can, again, very rarely, very rarely be transcribed into little bitty peptides that may or may not serve regulatory roles. So that's just what the RNA can do. But guess what? The DNA locus that encodes long non-coding RNA can also do stuff. It may bind with other DNA elements to support or suppress transcription, or it can help anchor other proteins. Um, basically, linker RNAs are awesome because they can do almost anything. I want you to keep in your brain for this episode that both the DNA and the RNA of a long non-coding RNA can play regulatory roles. Okay, now, now we're gonna dive into the paper. First, the authors asked if there were any long non-coding RNAs that may play a role in promoting class switch recombination, but weren't necessarily in the IGH locus, because that's been researched to death. In a previous publication, the authors found that if you delete a protein responsible for forming the RNA exosome, long non-coding RNAs accumulate near the site where they were transcribed. 
This makes sense. If nothing is chewing them up, there should be an excess of them. By comparing, by comparing RNA sequencing results from wild-type mice and mice lacking function of the RNA exosome, they found three bidirectionally transcribed RNAs that were about 2.6 megabases upstream of the IGH locus, which remember encodes the heavy chain and is the whole purpose of class switch combination. They named these RNAs locus A, locus B, and link CSR IGA. Can you guess which one was their favorite? Okay, so now that's just the RNA bit. They also want to look for DNA-DNA interactions in that same area where they found the linker RNAs. Oh, by the way, long non-coding RNAs can be shortened to link RNAs. Now, DNA within the nucleus is less like those nice X chromosomes you are used to seeing on the metaphase spread and more like earbud cords in your pocket. They almost immediately form loops and knots, but of course, unlike earbud cords, some of these loops formed in our DNA are, are highly regulated and placed just so. To examine DNA-DNA interactions at these sites, they used a technology called Hi-C, not the juice. It's a confirmation, a chromosome confirmation capture plus sequencing. You basically cross-link DNA so that any DNA bits that were touching in a cell are stuck together. Then you chop up all the DNA, pull down the bits that were cross-linked together, and sequence them. By doing this with millions of cells, you get a composite snapshot of DNA-DNA interactions, and you find out which parts like to hang out together. From the Hi-C experiment, you can tell a few things. You can find large regions with lots of interacting DNA pieces, which uh, you can call a TAD, or a topologically associating domain. And you can find smaller interacting regions, or loops. In B cells, they found a TAD which contained locus A, link CSR, IgA, and locus B. How convenient! There are RNAs here, and the DNA sequences loop near each other. Moreover, these interactions were conserved from mice to humans. What could this all mean? Now, to understand the biological significance of this region, they created a knockout mouse for the gene of uh, link CSR IgA. Now, keep in mind that means that this mouse lacks both the DNA and the RNA from link CSR IgA. I'm sure everyone has been curious why they keep calling it link CSR IgA. Well, it turns out mice lacking this gene have fewer IgA positive B cells, suggesting that class switching to IgA is disrupted. Little sidebar here. Why do we even care about IgA? Well, as I mentioned before, IgA is a critical mediator of mucosal immunity and microbiome homeostasis. It is secreted in breast milk, and that's how your mom uses her own immune system to protect you as babies. And it's also to educate our own immune system on which bacteria are the good guys and which are the bad guys. When we've grown up, you can find IgA at mucosal barriers, like your sinuses and your gut. It not only neutralizes pathogens, it can also help to anchor neutral commensal bacteria in your mucosa. To prevent inflammation, IgA can block certain bacterial epitopes from interacting with intestinal epithelial cells, and it only activates complement if it's aggregated. Therefore, IgA is important for promoting a healthy balance between you and your microbiome while still protecting you from pathogens which might not be so good for you. So you can see why a gene like link CSR IgA might be important. So, not only did the link CSR IgA knockout mouse have fewer IgA B cells in its intestinal villi and pyrus patches, when the authors used 16S sequencing to examine the microbiome, these mice had significantly different microbiomes from their wild-type counterparts, suggesting that link CSR IgA is, import is important for both formation and function of IgA antibodies. In humans, there, there is actually an associated disease known as selective IgA deficiency, and guess what? 
some of those individuals have mutations in their LYNC-CSR IgA gene, further supporting the author's claim that LYNC-CSR IgA is important for IgA class switching. To understand what could be eliciting, eliciting such a phenotype, the authors investigated the structure of the TAD, which contained locus A, locus B, and LYNC-CSR IgA. Earlier, I told you that the formation of DNA loops was considerably more organized than the loops and knots that form in cords in your pockets. Indeed, certain proteins called cohesins, which are shaped like little rings, separate lengths of DNA into loops, kind of like a drawstring. The limits of these loops are defined by anchoring proteins called CTCFs. CTCF stands for CCCTC binding factor, by the way, because they bind to these specific sequences. The authors found that near locus A, link CSR, IgA, and Ig. Uh, and locus B, cohesins and CTCFs frequently bound in that region, suggesting the formation of real loops. Within the link CSR IgA locus, there were also enhancer marks on the histones and binding of RNA pol 2 all indicating transcription occurring through that area and opening an open chromatin structure. Okay, so so far the authors have established that loops are forming and that proper loop forming proteins are all there. But how are these genomic loci interacting with each other to promote class switch recombination? Using their LYNC-CSR IgA mouse and more HiC and 4C experiments, the authors found that when the gene LYNC-CSR IgA is present, the CTCF next to LYNC-CSR IgA interacts more with locus A and the 3' regulatory region of the IgH gene than with locus B. But when you, lock out, when you knock out LYNC-CSR IgA, the CTCF uh, next to link CSR IgA interacts more with locus B. To understand how these loci affect class switching, the authors created knockout cell lines of locus A, locus B, link CSR IgA, and the CTCF site that neighbors uh, link CSR IgA. When the authors knock out locus B, they see more class switch recombination to IgA in vitro than even in wild type mice. However, if you delete links uh, CSR IgA and locus B together, these cells are deficient in class switch recombination, demonstrating that the effect of locus B on class switching is dependent on link CSR IgA. Deletion of locus A, link CSR IgA, or the CTCF that is neighboring link CSR IgA results in a decreased class switching uh, phenotype, suggesting that these sites promote class switching to IgA. So, interesting. Now a 3D model of the interactions of these loci is forming. But wait, I've literally only been talking about the DNA interactions this entire time, and this is a link RNA paper. Well, like I told you before, the effects of a link RNA could actually be attributed to either its DNA or RNA components. So to better dissect these different pieces, the, author, the authors used overexpression and knockdown models to look at how the RNA component of link CSR IgA contributes to class switch recombination. First, they took their knockout cells, which do not express um, link CSR IgA RNA and don't have the DNA for it either, and transfected them with either a blank vector, a vector which had link CSR IgA inverted, so it can't really express like normal link CSR IgA RNA, and a vector which had expressed just the RNA of link CSR IgA. The overexpression vector, but not the inverted or blank vector, was able to restore class switching to IgA um, in link CSR IgA knockout cells, rescuing this deletion in trans. 
Conversely, in wild-type cells, they used CRISPR-Cas13 to knock down the RNA of LYNC-CSR IgA, and these cells had reduced class switch recombination. So it's like if you overexpress the RNA, you get more class switch recombination, and if you knock it down, you get less. So therefore, this demonstrates that the RNA element of LYNC-CSR IgA is important for class switch recombination to IgA. Lastly, to understand what role the RNA component could be playing, the authors pulled down proteins which bound to LYNC-CSR IgA and used mass spectrometry to determine what they were. In this paper, the authors highlighted three proteins, SMC3, which is part of the cohesin complex, which is again that little ring like a drawstring that forms loops, PARP1, which is a DNA repair protein which helps form double-stranded breaks, and SUPT15H, which is part of the FACT complex, which helps recruit epigenetic regulators at promoters and enhancers. All of these proteins could help support the formation of open chromatin structure and loop formation. Therefore, with all this information, the authors put forth a model that upon transcription, the RNA, linked CSR IgA, recruits proteins to, uh, to promote loop formation. Okay, okay, okay. Let's review the results of this paper and try to imagine a model together. Close your eyes and imagine like a shoelace or a cord or a spaghetti, our nice little DNA domain. We have three spots along that DNA. There's locus A upstream. There's link CSR IgA in the middle and locus B downstream. Imagine that though they are not directly next to each other and there's like DNA in between them, you can loop the DNA so that they can all touch each other. It might look something like a pair of bunny ears. Locus A forms one ear with link CSR IgA, and then link CSR IgA also forms the other bunny ear with locus B. The authors propose a model that when the B cell is not activated, link CSR IgA is not transcribed. And so the gene link CSR, or, or at least the CTCF next to link CSR IgA preferentially hangs out with locus B in the right bunny ear, suppressing class switching to IgA. However, when the B cell becomes activated, the RNA from link CSR IgA is transcribed, and it brings all the little loop-forming friends, SM3C, SUPT15H, and PARP1, to help support loop formation more towards loop A, the left bunny ear. When locus A and link CSR IgA are together, this promotes interaction all the way over to the three prime regulatory region of the IgH locus to help support class switching to IgA. Like, whoa, who knew such tiny changes in the organization of the genome could have such huge consequences? To those people with selective IgA deficiency and mutations in the link CSR IgA locus, could you even imagine that you might just have fewer IgA antibodies just because your DNA doesn't touch at the right places at the right time? Crazy. Of course, I mean, in my opinion, this paper leaves more questions than answers, like how specifically is the link RNA finding the right spot to bring in those proteins? Is there sequence specificity? Does the RNA have some wacky secondary structure? What is the DNA doing versus the RNA? How do these mutations seen in patients with selective IgA deficiency change this model? Or how, how does it change how they switch to IgA? Like what's going on? What about somatic hypermutation? It's almost too much to handle. Uh, if you enjoy drowning in questions like I do, the Bastard Group also has put out a recent paper this last February 2021 on non-coding non RNA processing and somatic hypermutation in B cells. And in general, uh, their group is really cool, does all sorts of research on RNA surveillance and processing in the context of B cell biology. You're really gonna love it. Um, 
Well, with that, I would really like to thank you all for staying with me through all this. Uh, if you enjoyed this, you should check out our other antibody podcasts, um, our journal clubs, and our meme page on Facebook. It's full of immunology nerds, and uh, we promise we will never judge you, no matter how bad your jokes are. So uh, see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.